Good morning, everybody. My name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, again, we want to welcome you and thank you for being part of our congregation this morning. Um, Pastor Alex has been taking us through the gospel according to Matthew uh, this summer. And uh, he's asked me to carry on with that this morning uh, with a text from Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to get there in a couple minutes. But first... Some of you who have heard me preach before know that I'm sort of a space nerd, right? You remember that about me? And you know that it would not necessarily be uh, an unusual thing if I were to begin my sermon with uh, a space-related story or something, right? So um, if you're not a space word, I'm going to ask you for just a few moments of grace while I tell a little space story. And I promise that there's a point to this that I will tie into my sermon later. So, deal? Okay. So, let me see, by a show of hands, uh, how many of you were born after August 1977? Oh, quite a few. Okay. Well, um, here's a, a space fact you might not know then. If you were born after August 1977... There are two spacecraft that have, in fact, been traveling away from the Earth nonstop for your entire life. How many of you knew that? Yeah, not so many. Maybe, maybe a couple. So um, here's the deal. That's almost 42 years, by the way, a little over 41 years. In August and September of 1977, two spacecraft were launched from the Earth, 16 days apart, they were called Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. And uh, they were designed in the early 1970s, and then they were launched in the late summer, early fall of 1977, to take advantage of a unique arrangement of the planets in their orbits. Uh, this is something that happens only once every 176 years, so the timing was very critical. Uh, it was an arrangement of the planets that would allow these two spacecraft as they were flying out towards the outer reaches of the solar system, to use the gravitational fields of each of the planets that they went by to kind of slingshot themselves out and farther and on to the next planet and so on, uh, theoretically out to the end, uh, to the limits of the solar system. And uh, all along the way, they would be taking pictures and sending back data. So the first couple of years, I mean, it was, it's a long a long journey to the planet Jupiter. But for the first couple of years, uh, things were a little bit quiet until 1979. Both of the Voyager spacecraft flew past Jupiter and Saturn, and they began sending back some of the most amazing uh, images of the planets that had ever been seen up to that time. This was 10 years before the Hubble Space Telescope that some of you have, have uh, heard about. So images like this first one that I'm going to show you, this was, uh, it's a close-up shot of the planet Jupiter and the great red spot, which is really an immense storm that has been going on on this planet since before human history. Um, an amazing thing, never been seen before. Another shot came uh, that was sort of a close-up of the rings of Saturn where you got to see some of the actual debris and things in, the, in and among the rings, and you got to see some detail of the rings that, again, had never been seen before. And then finally, especially Voyager 2, as it got closer to the planet Neptune, 
we saw this beautiful image of the planet Neptune, a planet that is like 17 times more dense than the Earth and where the winds at the surface go up to 1,300 miles per hour. An amazing place. No one had ever seen it. It's not visible to the naked eye. Um, but then here is one of the most remarkable images that I think came out of the Voyager missions. This is a very famous image, and it's not much to look at, but it's called the pale blue dot. Now, I don't know if you can see the dot. It's, there's a little bit of a band on the right-hand side, and just above the center, you see that little dot? Okay, good. That is the Earth. That is the Earth viewed from a distance of about 4 billion miles out into our solar system. That is the Earth. Um, that picture was shot by Voyager 1 in 1990. And it puts into some context how small we are, doesn't it? In all of the vastness of space, if you get out far enough and look closely enough, Earth is one pixel. Earth is one little dot. Uh, in case you're having a hard time seeing it, I've got another picture that has a little box around it. It's right there. And um, a lot has been written about this. This tiny little dot is the only place in our entire vast solar system that is capable of supporting life as we know it. It is sort of humbling to look at it and realizing how relatively tiny our entire existence is uh, against the vastness of space. And at the same time, it's amazing to me that from billions of miles away, the light from the sun reflecting off of the earth made it four billion miles to the camera of Voyager 1. Now, amazingly, the two Voyagers, Voyagers 1 and 2, are still flying away from the earth today. Voyager 1 is traveling faster and farther than Voyager 2, but they're both still moving out towards interstellar space, uh, outside of our solar system. In fact, in 2012, Voyager 1 became the first human-made object ever to leave our solar system. Um, Voyager today is over 13 and a half billion miles away from the Earth, and it is traveling at about 38,000 miles per hour which, if you do the math, figures out to about 10 and a half miles per second. That way, out, away from the Earth. Um, Voyager 2, moving a little bit slower. But here's the really crazy thing about the Voyager spacecraft, I think. After almost 42 years, both Voyagers are still fully functional. Can you imagine that? Have you ever had anything that lasted 42 years? Now, some of the onboard instruments, like the main cameras, have been shut down uh, on purpose to conserve power for the other instruments because the nuclear power sources inside these two spacecraft are only going to last about another eight years or so. But these two spacecraft are still fully functional. They're still sending data back every day, and it's still being received uh, by NASA. You can go to a web page on the NASA site and see the current status of both Voyager spacecraft in real time. So at this point, I'm asking myself, how in the world are we still able to receive information from the spacecraft that is 13 and a half billion miles away? How is that possible? 
Well, the radio transmitters, now understand, in addition to being a space nerd, I'm a radio nerd. That's the important thing about me. Um, the radio transmitters, I looked this up, in the, in the two Voyager spacecraft are operating at about 20 watts of power. Now, to give you some perspective, that's about the same amount of radiated power as you get from the light bulb in your refrigerator when you open the door. 20 watts. How is that possible? Well, it is. Um, we have some pretty amazing antenna farms here on Earth, huge dishes that are you know, collecting this tiny little signal as it comes. It takes, you know, radio, radio signals travel, travel at the speed of light, just like sunlight does, and it takes 20 hours for a signal to get from Voyager 1 to Earth. 20 hours, and then if you want to respond back, that's another 20 hours. Put that into perspective, the light from the sun, now our sun is 93 million miles away, right? How long does it take the light from the sun to get here? Anybody know? Eight minutes and 20 seconds, very close. Eight minutes and 20 seconds for the light from the sun to reach the earth. And so I came up with this analogy to help me wrap my mind around how incredible this is. It's as if someone just outside the last orbit of Pluto in our solar system um, were to open their refrigerator door and we could detect it here on Earth. That's how incredible this is. And so a reasonable person might be asking herself right now, what in the world is the point of this story? <laughs> Apart from demonstrating that I'm a big space nerd with a little too much time on my hands. Well, here's what I want you to take away from this story, and I want you to remember this. A little bit of light can go a long way. A little bit of light can go a long way. Just hold that thought for a bit, and I promise we'll come back to it. So our text for this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. It's a text that's small, just four verses, uh, but it is part of a much larger context called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, this takes up three chapters, three whole chapters in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, um, and it is the longest continuous passage of the teaching of Jesus that we have in the New Testament. Uh, if your Bible has the words of Jesus printed in red, for example, it's the longest stretch of red ink in your Bible. And before we look at our, at our text for today, it's helpful to understand a little bit of the context of this text. And so I'm going to take us back uh, just a little bit before to chapter 4. Last week, Pastor Alex told us that uh, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You remember that. He was to fast there and to be tested by the evil one. And uh, after he recovers from that, Jesus goes on to then, to then begin recruiting his 12 uh, companions, his disciples. And uh, so he is doing that, and then he begins going out uh, around Galilee, traveling from place to place, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And it's a very simple, very simple message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But if you could put yourselves into the sandals, if you will, of a typical Jewish person in Galilee at that time, I believe that you would realize pretty quickly that this simple message was also sort of a bombshell. It was a controversial message. And do you know why? Well, it's because there was already a powerful ruling kingdom in Galilee and Israel and all of Asia, which is what we would now today call Southern Europe, and Italy. And every Jew 
knew exactly who the king of that kingdom was. It was the emperor of Rome, Caesar. So the Roman emperor was the king. And for someone like Jesus to start walking around talking about how there's this new kingdom coming, and really he was saying more than that because he was saying that this new kingdom had already come somehow in himself. Well, this is crazy talk. And this is dangerous talk. And this is the kind of talk that could get you killed in the Roman Empire. Not only was Jesus preaching about the kingdom of God, but he was also healing people everywhere he went, almost as if to say, a new kingdom is coming, and if you think I'm playing, watch this. That was something new and different. He healed enough people that crowds began to follow him from place to place. And as we see throughout Jesus' ministry, this, along with some of the other controversial things that he said and did, attracted attention from the Jewish religious authorities as well. So when we get to the beginning of chapter 5, Jesus has already been healing people, he's already been preaching, and now we find that a huge crowd is following him around, and uh, so he leads them up onto a hillside, and he sits them down, and he begins to preach and teach. Now, this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, as Matthew records it in his Gospel. So the first part of the sermon, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time there, but the first part of the sermon is a pronouncement of a series of blessings, and we call them the Beatitudes. You've heard of the Beatitudes. I know some of you know them by heart, Um, but there's one thing that I want to point out. I know that we know these things, but I think, at least in my life, sometimes it's easy to become so familiar that it's possible to overlook just how much Jesus is turning the world upside down when he says these things. I'm going to read this passage to you. It won't be on the screen, but listen to this. This is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. He says, And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now wait a minute, Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Jesus, have you been paying attention at all? We live under the absolute authority of the Roman Empire, and I'm sorry, sir, but you've got it backwards. It's not the poor in spirit who are blessed, but the rich and the comfortable and the powerful. It's not those who grieve who are blessed, but those whose lives are made easy by their wealth and their power and their authority. Those are the ones who are blessed in in our world, Jesus, 
And I'm sorry, sir, but you've got it all wrong. This is not how the world we live in works. You see, it wasn't just the oppression of the Romans that the Jewish people were dealing with. They also lived under a system of laws and rules and regulations that went far beyond the law of Moses, far beyond even what was imposed on them by the emperor of Rome. They had the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the priests loading them down with guilt and shame and all kinds of spiritual and legal obligations, way more than the original law of Moses. There were plenty of laws about what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath day, laws about the sacrifices that you had to make, laws about what to eat and what to drink and what not to eat and what not to drink and what foods could go together and what foods could not go together. There were laws that were so numerous that it was practically a full-time job to keep track of them all, and really the law had become a burden, even a weapon to be held over the heads of those who were outside of the world of the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So when Jesus pronounces blessings on the poor in spirit and the meek and the merciful and those who are persecuted, he's doing nothing less than turning the whole social order that these people knew on its head. And so here he is on a hillside with a crowd of needy people around him, many of whom he has probably just healed of one disease or another, most of whom were probably poor, all of whom lived under the, impress the oppression of the Roman emperor, and he's saying, you thought you weren't worthy of God's favor, but you are. You thought you weren't qualified to be blessed in God's kingdom, but you are. You didn't think there was any hope for you, but there is. A new kingdom is coming, and it is now among you. It would not be long before the religious leaders began criticizing Jesus for hanging out with the wrong kinds of people. So tax collectors and prostitutes even sitting down to eat meals in the homes of sinners. He offered forgiveness to a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and he offered living water to another woman who came to a well in the heat of the day because she had such a bad reputation in town that she didn't want to be there when all the other women were there. Jesus is turning the world upside down here, and he is addressing people who thought of themselves on the bottom, under the thumbs of the rich, the religious, and the powerful, and he's saying, you, you are blessed. And then we come to today's passage, Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. The text will be on the screen. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost, lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I think that we all understand more or less what Jesus is saying here about salt and light, right? Salt adds flavor. And in the ancient world, salt was very, very important as a preservative, 
And we know how the light from even one candle can fill a room. We saw that right here in this room on Good Friday. If you were here, you remember one, one candle lit with all the lights off fills the room. It's, it's visible from the entire room. Jesus wants his followers to have those same kinds of qualities, to be sure. But here, I think that for most of my life, I might have been reading this passage just a little bit wrong. And maybe you can relate to this. I don't know. I have tended to look at this passage almost as a warning. You know, you're the salt of the earth. God is counting on you, so don't blow it. And somewhere inside I felt that being the salt and the uh, salt of the earth and the light of world, the world was like a heavy obligation and a responsibility. The way I understood it, it felt a little bit like pressure and I felt the weight of the urgency that was implied. But when I've stopped to think about the impact of what Jesus was saying to the crowd when he spoke the blessings at the beginning of this chapter, I realized that Jesus was telling these people that it's not the privileged and the powerful and the educated and the people born into status, not even the religious leaders who are most blessed. He's telling the crowd, it's you. It's you. The regular people who struggle with grief and sadness and whose lives are often difficult, who feel the weight of oppression, you are the ones who are blessed in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said at some point, the ones that you think will be first will be last, and the last will be first. Things are turned upside down. And so now I believe here's what Jesus is saying in this passage. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You, even you, You who mourn, you who hunger and thirst, you who are poor in spirit, even you who are persecuted, even you. And God wants to use you. He wants to show his glory and his power through you. He wants his great love to shine through even people like you. I'm pretty sure the Apostle Paul picked up on this. In a culture where slavery was the norm, He had the audacity to say there's no difference between slave and free in Christ. In a culture where men held nearly all the power and women held almost none of it, Paul had the audacity to say that there is now neither male nor female in Christ Jesus. In a culture where there were clear, dramatic distinctions between Jews and Gentiles, Paul declared there was no longer any meaningful difference between Jew and Greek when it comes to to the presence of Jesus and his people. Those who are in Christ are a new category of people. And the old categories no longer apply. God uses and welcomes people into his kingdom that the religious leaders would never qualify. So let's look at today's passage again, and this time I want to look at it the way that Eugene Peterson translated it for the message. and See if you can get some of this Nuance. Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. 
God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm gonna hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this general, generous Father in heaven. Now, even though you might not believe it yet, or if you f- still feel a little bit unqualified, even, it's, even if it seems that the rest of the world might even doubt your worthiness, I'm here to tell you today that God is ready to use you. With whatever you bring, whoever you are, God is ready to use you, even you, to add to the beautiful God flavors and God colors that he wants to spread across this world. Now remember what we said a little bit earlier. A little bit of light can go a long way. A small sprinkling of salt can bring out wonderfully rich flavors in foods. A 20-watt radio signal can be heard across 13.5 billion miles of empty space. A little bit of faith, even a bit that is so small it's like a little tiny mustard seed, can make a huge difference in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, I want to use you. I want you to participate in the kingdom of heaven. Even you. You didn't think you had what it takes, but I'm the one who decides that. Are you in? And that's a question that I have for myself and for you this morning. Are you in? Are you open to the possibility that maybe God wants to use you to help build and establish his kingdom? I don't know what it might mean for you. I don't even know for sure what it means for me yet. Maybe walking across the street to speak with a neighbor. Maybe speaking up against an injustice when you see it. Maybe being willing to tell someone the story of your relationship with Jesus. It might just mean that you make a new friend or you speak a word of encouragement or you serve someone who might never be able to repay you. There is no limit whatsoever to how God might use just a little faith in your life to do something with eternal significance. And just know this, small steps of faith almost always lead to bigger steps of faith. Are you in? A little light can go a long way. A little faith can take you places that you never thought you'd go. Are you in? I'm going to ask Rachel Kelly to come up here. You don't know Rachel probably but you're going to get to know her in a moment. Rachel is uh, the daughter of Wayne and Jennifer Kelly. Would you wave at us here? Sitting right over there. You you probably know Wayne and Jen. And uh, Rachel is uh, a very special person for reasons that I'm going to tell you in just a minute, but I also want to introduce you to her sister, who is not here today. Nicole is Rachel's sister, and Nicole Kelly uh, is preparing to go into ministry. I've had the pleasure of talking with both Rachel and Nicole uh, during the last several months, 
and uh, have gotten to know them a little bit and learning more and more about the kind of ministry that they're pursuing. Nicole is going to be serving with an organization called the Oread Center right here on the KU campus. And I'm very excited about this because she's going to be ministering to college students. Um, uh, she couldn't be here today because she's at a missions trip in St. Louis in the inner city with uh, some teenagers. And uh, so working hard with that at the Lord's work, that's a very cool thing. But this fall, she will begin her ministry on the staff at the Oriad Center right here on the KU campus. It's a Christian outreach ministry to college students, um, and she is going to be um, uh, on the staff there. She has said, yes, I'm in. I'm in, and I want to be salt and light for Christ on the KU campus. Now, Rachel, who is here with us this morning, Rachel, welcome, uh, lives in Manhattan. Don't hold that against her. She is preparing to go to East Asia, okay, where she's going to spend the next couple of years, and the first part of that time, she's going to be learning the language and then teaching English, and I'm thinking that this may be the beginning of a longer career in that location, um, but she has decided that she wants to be salt and, lives, salt and light in the lives of college students in an East Asian country that I know you would know if I told you the name, but I'm not going to. It's a security thing. These two young women, Rachel and Nicole, are saying yes to the call of Christ in their lives. They have said, we're in. We're in. We're ready. And I can't help believe, but believe that there was something in the way they were raised by Wayne and Jen that has brought this about in their lives. I see a nod here. And so we see salt and light in the lives of the parents, leading to salt and light in the lives of the daughters, which is going to lead to salt and light on the KU campus, and salt and light in a big country in East Asia, and salt and light that could go no, who knows where, who knows how broad and how far. And yet, they are very special people, all of them, the entire family, very special people, to be sure. And we believe the Lord is going to do some amazing and wonderful things in their lives because of their willingness to take these small steps of faith. But understand, they are just regular people like us. Regular people like you. And they've just said, yes, I'm in. And so we are grateful for their ministry. And one of the reasons that I wanted to introduce you to Rachel and to Nicole as well is that you members of our congregation, have also been salt and light in their lives, even though you may not know it. Uh, by your generosity in last year's Christmas impact offering, you made it possible for our church to contribute financially to their ministries. And so you have a hand in what they're going to be doing. You have been salt and light so that they can be salt and light. And I thank you. Would you give yourselves a, a hand of applause and also Rachel and uh, Nicole and Wayne and Jennifer. A little bit of light can go a long way. Now, Rachel, if you'll stay here for just a moment longer, I, I want to pray for you. But first, I want to let you know that there are two opportunities this week for many of you to step out and say yes to Jesus and be salt and light right here in the River City. On Tuesday afternoon, our church is going to be serving at Link. Many, how many of you have ever served a link? Yeah, a bunch of you have. 
Link is a wonderful ministry to people downtown that need a, need a hot meal. And if you've ever served a Link, you know it's, it's uh, rewarding. It can be fun working with, with other people and getting, a new, getting to know new people. And so we're going to be doing that this Tuesday from 1230 to 230. If you haven't signed up to help, I'm sure that we still need people to serve. We probably still need some food. Instructions are in your worship guide today, and we would love to have you there at Link. I hope that, especially if you've never done it before, that you're considering saying yes to this opportunity. And by now, you also know that next Sunday is Serve Sunday. Pastor Alex said something about that earlier. And uh, this is going to be a great opportunity for us as a congregation to be salt and light in our community, a way to love where we live. And we're going to meet here at 9 a.m. We'll have a brief time of instructions and prayer. We're going to organize ourselves a little bit, and then we're going to head out in our community to serve in some uh, very simple and humble ways across the area, uh, picking up trashes, trash and branches in city parks and painting and doing some of the things Alex told you about that earlier. And it's not going to be an all-day thing. We're going to be done by about noon. Um, and in a variety of ways, we will be salt and light. And so my question is, are you in? Are you in? You don't have to answer right now. But we're asking you to come get a cup of coffee, grab a bottle of water, roll up your sleeves, and let's serve our city together. Are you in? Please bow your heads for a moment. And I'd like to pray for us and for Rachel and Nicole. Lord God, we thank you for the amazing privilege of participating in your kingdom. Thank you for extending your mercy and grace even to ordinary people like us and also to people like Rachel and Nicole. Lord, I pray for these two young women as they take the next steps in their walk of faith. I pray that you will go before them and provide all that they need for the ministry that lies ahead of them. And I pray that you'll keep them close to yourself, reminding them every single day that they belong to you, that you are with them, and that you are for them. And I pray that daily you will give them strength and power through your Holy Spirit to do the things that you've called them to do. And Lord, I pray for all of us who have made this our church home, that you would help us take the steps of faith that you are calling each one of us to take, no matter how big or how small. I pray that as we respond to you in faith, you will continue to reveal more of yourself to us. And I pray you'll open our eyes to see your hand at work all around us. Please, Lord, continue to teach us how to be salt and light in our own places and spheres of influence. And remind us that you are always with us. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Rachel. You can go back down and sit with your folks. And now we come to the Lord's table. This is a table of remembrance, a table of self-reflection and examination, and it is an open table. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft, often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Jesus also said to his disciples, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There are stations 
with the bread and the cup here at the front and again in the back. So please take a moment to reflect on the love of Christ demonstrated on the cross by the shedding of his blood and come when you are ready. Take a piece of the unleavened bread, dip it in the cup. If you would prefer a small plastic cup, we have those here in the center at the front. And partake of it with prayer, remembering that the Lord's body was broken and his blood was shed for us. Cover our sins to cancel the debt of sin that we owed. And when you've partaken, please return to your seat for one more song, and then a baptism. Please come.